It's said that your real life begins where your comfort zone ends. Well, it's about to get real as we have radically authentic conversations to help you thrive in your personal and professional life while navigating the twists and turns of being human. Buckle up, because this might get uncomfortable. Starts right now with Whitney Lordson. Yesterday, I visited my friend for the first time at her home slash work. And the reason it's combined is because my friend works at a private school. And recently, she took on a role of working in the dormitories. So she lives in the dormitories with some of these private school girls, and she runs their library. And it was really wonderful as an aside visiting her because just seeing where your friends live and work is really neat. And it was also interesting for me walking around a school where there's middle schoolers and high schoolers and having all of these memories come up of not only high school and middle school, but also college. And as an aside, I worked at a summer camp, which was at a private girls' school when I was in college. And just being there reminded me of all of these different places that I've been. And one other place, gosh, what was that? I don't know. It was just like, sometimes when you go to different places, they bring up all these things that you haven't thought about in a long time. And I started reflecting on high school and it was actually making me feel incredibly uncomfortable. And my friend even pulled out some yearbooks and just seeing pictures of some of my old teachers and classmates, I found myself feeling weird in ways that I hadn't even experienced in quite some time. And we walked through the hallways of the school and we passed by like the gym and like, I'm thinking about what it was like to go to gym, but we also passed by their indoor swimming pool, which we didn't have at my high school, but private schools often have them. And there's just the smell of the chlorine and like looking at the hallways reminded me of when I was on swim team and like, you know, all this stuff's coming up. So I'm like in this uncomfortable state and I was simultaneously fascinated with what it's like to work at a school and be amongst all of these children who are in that time of life that I remember feeling incredibly uncomfortable. You know, like I'm lucky to have had a pretty mellow time in high school. Nothing super traumatic happened to me. Like I wasn't bullied. I didn't go through a ton of hardships aside from all the lovely hormone experiences, plus like trying to figure out who you are. And seeing my friend who I've known this specific friend since I was in preschool, nursery school is what it's called. Like we go way back, grew up in the same town. We've just so much in common. So it's almost as if it was like almost like living a parallel life. This makes sense because we're so similar that talking to her, I feel like I get to see what it would be like if I had chosen to work at a school, if that makes sense. (laughs) And what I was specifically curious about was what it was like to be around middle schoolers and high schoolers right now, because right now we're in a pandemic. And also right now we live in a time with all these digital devices. And we've talked about this in a number of different episodes, how digital devices have impacted kids and their mental health. And 
my friend, who's not someone who exaggerates, really said it is incredibly challenging to witness these kids who are in the middle of a pandemic going to school and also living in this time where digital devices have shifted so much for them. We're also recording this episode after a lot of awareness has come to light with Facebook and their practices on platforms like Facebook and Instagram. And there was this weight, this energetic weight that I felt from my friend hearing her talk about what it's like to live in a dormitory and basically like serve as a mother, you know, an authority figure, a comfort figure, like someone who's caring for these children, who's seen so much of their lives during school and after school, before school, and the heartbreak that she's feeling of watching them suffer and struggle and how it's so commonplace for these kids to have extreme mental health issues. She talked about children who have considered suicide. But there was also an interesting case. I don't want to go into the details just for privacy reasons, but one of them had like a very severe physical reaction and had to go to the emergency room. And it was concluded that the reason this all happened all of the sudden out of nowhere was because of really intense stress. And it's interesting from the outside because I'm walking around this like insanely gorgeous private school. I mean, like imagine a really high-end college, right? Like most of us know like Stanford, for example, Yale, like these beautiful colleges on these amazing campuses. That's basically what this private school is like. And, And it reminded me how in Massachusetts, where I grew up, she grew up and now she's working. There's so many private schools and there's so much wealth and there's so much history. Like when you go into these campuses, it reeks of privilege first and foremost, but it also like is just like so insanely beautiful, you know? And I guess that context of these girls who are clearly living a life of privilege They are in this gorgeous place. They're being cared for by incredible staff members like my friend who put so much care and passion into their work. Like they basically have it all. And yet these girls are stressed out and these girls are struggling and and considering ending their lives. And I asked my friend, like, why do you think this is? Do you think it's the pandemic? And she's like, yes, I think it has shifted a lot. She's been there for many, many years. So she's witnessed the before and during the pandemic, right? And how much that's changed things. But I also have a hunch. I don't know if she'd be able to truly say this, but of course, like the way things have shifted because of digital developments and technology, as we've spoken about in so many episodes, and how it's, just becoming like a bigger and bigger issue. And even though we've touched upon this on so many episodes, like I feel like we could devote an entire separate show just to this discussion about how technology is impacting us. And actually today, Jason, today, the day of this recording is October 10th, and this is World Mental Health Day. And I am continuously blown away by how much people are struggling like how much anxiety and burnout and stress and depression are impacting people. I put out a little poll on Instagram today just to like 
check in with people in, in that community. And I asked, like, <laughs> I used one of those Instagram stickers on my stories and it just said, like, how are you feeling today? Good or not so good? And not only was the majority of responses on the not so good scale, but when you tap on the sticker, you can see who selected that. And there was one person in particular who I was actually really surprised answered it that way. And it goes to show that a lot of people are struggling, even the people that you wouldn't expect. And it just continues to make me wonder why. Like, why is it so incredibly common? And I just keep wondering, Jason, is it because of technology? Like, I don't want to blame that. I think the pandemic's obviously impacting us, but like, it just feels like the pandemic, it's not even been two years yet. And energetically, I feel like these issues have been going on way before the pandemic, of course. They've just kind of been heightened by it. And yeah, there's a lot to say. We've got an article we want to discuss today from the Wall Street Journal that came out a few months ago and before this whole Facebook stuff. So I don't know if they've updated it since the Facebook developments, but the article is entitled, Digital Addictions Are Drowning Us in Dopamine. Rising rates of depression and anxiety in wealthy countries like the U.S., may be a result of our brains getting hooked on the neurotransmitter associated with pleasure, right? So that kind of like gives that context to these kids that are very privileged in the U.S. that are so hooked on these things, but it's like maybe they think this is helping them, but it's just actually hurting them and making it so much worse. It's a hard trap to get out of because... I think a lot of things that are really addictive, I know we're focusing on digital technology and smartphone usage and social media, but I think if we look at other things that increase dopamine in our body, which is the the pleasure hormone and activates the pleasure centers in the brain, there's a lot of things that are ubiquitous and societally acceptable that get us addicted. I mean, look at how much stuff contain sugar. You know, we have our second podcast. It's a private podcast called This Hits the Spot where we talk about food products and brands and things we enjoy. But even in the natural product space, wit, I'll turn over products sometimes and I'm shocked how much sugar is in everything. And it's perfectly societally acceptable to eat a ton of sugar, even though we know about the risks to potentially get diabetes, the inflammatory effects in the body, et cetera, et cetera. I think now we're starting to see the data about the psychological, neurological, societal dangers of this, but I don't know if, say, that many people are actually taking it seriously yet. You know, it seems like there's a small group of scientists, researchers, you and I talking about this. We're obviously very interested because I think it's a lot more impactful than most people, I think, even realize. And, you know, interestingly, in this article... This is actually an article written by a psychotherapist named Anna Lemke. And in here, she was suggesting to a patient of hers to do a dopamine fast, to abstain from all screens, video games. Apparently, he was addicted to video games. And it's interesting because she says, I've seen more and more patients who suffer from depression and anxiety, including otherwise healthy young people with loving families, elite education, and relative wealth. Their problem isn't trauma, 
social dislocation or poverty. It's too much dopamine. As we said, a chemical produced in the brain that functions as a neurotransmitter associated with pleasure and reward. This is interesting though. When we do something we enjoy, like playing video games for this particular patient, the brain releases a little bit of dopamine and we feel good. But one of the most important discoveries in the field of neuroscience in the past 75 years is pleasure and pain are processed in the same parts of the brain and the brain tries really hard to keep them in balance. Whenever it tips in one direction, it will try hard to restore the balance, which neuroscientists call homeostasis. So it's like as soon as the dopamine is released, the brain tries to downregulate it, you know, the number of dopamine receptors that are stimulated. So the brain tries to level out and tips to the side of pain, which is why, and I can relate to this, I think probably every human can relate to this, that after you feel like massive amounts of pleasure, you usually feel like a come down or like a pleasure hangover. And if we wait long enough, right, we ride through the sadness or the pleasure hangover, it goes away. But she said there's a natural tendency to try and counteract it by getting more of the thing that makes you feel good. It's almost like, you know, with all of the upheaval that this pandemic has caused in terms of our finances, our health, the uncertainty, trust issues, the divisiveness in the world. I mean, it's no wonder people are binge drinking. People are dying of drug overdoses at a higher rate. We look at the statistics of depression and suicide. It's no wonder that people are reaching for things like social media, video games, sugar, alcohol, because people are fucking depressed and sad. I can speak from experience. You know, The level of depression and suicidal ideation I have felt through, through this pandemic has been, been brutal at times, right? And it's like, I could numb out. I could go and grab alcohol, and I'm not shaming anyone who does this. I want to go on record and say that. I'm not shaming anyone who chose, chooses, who has an addiction. But God knows if we want to be addicted, Whitney, there are many, many legal and societally acceptable options to be addicted to. It's interesting to understand the neurology of this and how our brains have evolved over time. And it's like, you know, the digital products, we've said this in previous episodes, they're designed to be addictive, right? They use flashing lights. They use really vibrant colors. They use celebratory sounds. There's tactile haptics that give you feedback and they vibrate. Like these are designed to be addictive devices. They truly are. So like, what the fuck do we do about it? That's the real question. It also reminds me of one other thing that came in up in this conversation with my friend and <laughs> she's telling me about her day and like how exhausting she is. And, and she's not a parent, but she basically has been in this parental role at the dormitories, you know, and she was telling me it's just work till like 11 o'clock at night. And I'm like, what are you doing until that late? She goes, well, lights out is at 10. And I was like, what do you mean lights out? Like, these girls are old enough. Like, can't they just go to bed whenever they feel like it? And she's like, well, no, because some of them are addicted to being on their devices. They need somebody to come and remind them that they need to sleep. Otherwise, they will just stay up all night. And in theory, it makes sense, oh, that they would learn the consequences of not getting enough sleep. But to your point, Jason, if this is an addiction, which it is, then somebody needs to go and create boundaries or in some case, maybe do extreme things to get people away from these devices. Because it's almost like a, that study, I think of rats. It's like the drug study. There was some drug like cocaine or something that they gave rats and they found that the rats would not eat anything. All they were doing was like having the drug. They couldn't stop. They forgot about everything else that was important to them because they were so addicted. 
to this drug. And that to me is like what's happening right now with all these devices. And in this article, it points out that this is relatively new. You know, these addictive substances, this whole new class of electronic addictions did not exist when you and I were in high school. And they were barely there when I was in college. I mean, certainly video games and computers are around, but again, like the iPhone, which really shifted things, came out in 2007. It wasn't that long ago. And I was already out of high school and college by that point. So I did not experience it when my brain was still developing. The other thing that I think is so important, which we've touched upon this, and you even said, Jason, like people that have loving families, elite education, like I've mentioned here, and relative wealth are suffering from depression and anxiety. And that's because those things are not the problems. Race and depression, anxiety, physical pain, and suicide are increasing all over the world, according to this article, especially in rich nations. And it's like, you know, logically people can think, well, what do you have to be so upset about? Like, you've got everything that you need, but everything that you need may actually be what's bad for you. Because think about it, as we've talked about, again, across so many episodes, if you have a lot of money, privilege, access, if you want to get a new iPhone, a new computer, a new video game console, they're always coming out. And if you have a lot of money to spare, you can always get a new one because it's flashy and they're well advertised to us. Even you and I as adults, Jason, we struggle to say no to those things. What really helped me was when I was reflecting on whether or not to get the new iPhone, which we touched upon in in an episode. And at this moment, I concluded that I, I actually don't think I want to get it. I want to hold off for as long as possible. A, my iPhone 10, even though it's over three years old now, is a really solid phone. The only issue right now that I have with it is the battery isn't that great. But technically, I could replace the battery, right? I don't need a fancy new camera. As you mentioned, Jason, it's very tempting to want to get the new camera. It's really tempting because they've upgraded the software and there are things that the newer phones can do that the older phones can't. But do we need them? And at what cost? In fact, I don't know if I mentioned this in the previous episode, but maybe it's a good thing if your phone doesn't have a long battery life. Maybe it's a good thing when your battery dies because you're forced to get off the device. But Jason, you know what I find myself doing when my iPhone dies. I have this little moment of sadness. Then I just go and plug it in and I wait. I could use a backup battery, plug it in and get back into bed or whatever I'm comfortable or get a really long cord, right? So in most cases, a dead battery is not that big of a deal if you have a battery, a way to charge it, right? But oftentimes when my phone's charging, Jason, I just switch to my computer or my iPad. And I'm like, oh, well, like I have something else to go to. And when I step back and reflect on that, that that is a little frightening, And as I've mentioned in the past too, I feel like I have fairly good self-control and self-awareness. And so every time I experience that moment of like, I need to be on some device or I'm bored for 
30 seconds and the first thing I do is go to a device. Whenever I'm aware of myself doing that, I find it so frightening. And then when you read articles like this, that there are so many out there, it's like becoming incredibly scary because these devices are so accessible. They are so appealing. Everybody's on them. And then not to mention, Jason, the other side of this is reflecting on this whole world we have of everybody's doing it. So I feel like I have to as well. And especially when you're in high school and college, you don't want to be that weird person that's not on their phone all the time and not taking pictures and posting them to social. And we've got this whole obsession with how many followers people have. And even when you don't think you care or don't really want to care about these things, it's scary to not do them because it's terrifying not to fit in. Another art book that I've been reading recently is, I think it's called The Coddling, if that's the right term of the American mind. Is coddling right? Coddle someone that means to like, how would you define it, Jason? I might be like, it's sort of like sheltering them or it's like treat in an indulgent or overprotective way. Yes. Okay. That's bingo. Yeah. And this book is a look at, I think maybe millennials, but it might span other generations. One of the the sections that is, if not the section that most resonated with me was the section about, they don't call it cancel culture. The author called it, or authors, I think it's two men that wrote this book. There's another term they use. I'll, I'll look it up, but it's around this idea of cancel culture and how social media has amplified it so much. And we've talked about cancel culture a lot, but how dangerous that is for us. You know, and and I wonder how much that ties into anxiety, depression. It's like we want to fit in so badly. So not only do we need to have the devices, but there's the loneliness factor, Jason. Like when everyone around you is on their devices, what are you going to do? You're probably going to get on your device too because we're mirroring one another, but we have nothing else to do. And we're, we've trained ourselves to use devices, video games and social media and watching things and all of that. All right, well, everybody else is on their screen. I might as well get on it too. I mean, how many people do you know, Jason, that would could sit in a room full of people on their devices and not feel that tempted or not like have that knee-jerk reaction of just getting on their devices too? I mean, if there were, I don't know if there have been experiments or studies done, but I would imagine you're going to mirror other people and just pull your phone out of your pocket if it's there, right? So... We've got that. We've got people posting on social media because, quote, that's what you do these days. I don't think I know anybody who's entirely off social media. Even my dad, who's not that into social media, he loves Twitter. He's on Twitter all the time. Now, he does it from his computer, I think, not from his phone. And my dad, in general, is pretty good about being off devices. But even he's on social media, right? Even if you're not posting things, you're probably on there reading and comparing and all this stuff. But the cancel culture thing too is so important because it's like we're being trained, Jason, to constantly be evaluating one another based on, are you fitting in or not? And if you don't fit in, shame on you. You got to get in line. We're being trained to like 
divide ourselves based on good and bad, right or wrong, this person versus that person, you're either with us or against us, this tribalist mentality that we've talked about. And the book, Coddling of the American Mind, also talks about how dangerous that is for our education, especially for the younger people that are afraid to express themselves because they're afraid of being canceled, called out, shamed publicly. And actually how crucial it is for our education to make mistakes. But if you're terrified of making mistakes, like how do you fully develop as a human being? Of course, you're going to feel depressed and anxious because you feel like you have to constantly be fitting in some mold. Otherwise, you're ostracized. And I think teenagers in general feel that way. And 20-year-olds and people of all ages probably feel that, that fear of being ostracized. But imagine that being so amplified on these digital devices that you literally feel like you can't escape it. I think that's part of what's very different now and terrifying is it feels like there's no escape. And Jason, that reminds me of the number of times you've talked about like not using social media, but you keep going back to it. And I'm kind of curious, like, why is it that you fluctuate? Like what brings you back to social media and what causes you to feel fed up with it? Do you feel like you can escape it? In all honestly, honesty? I fluctuate because I have acknowledged that when I spend less time on social media and less time on all of my digital devices, I feel better. A. I go back because it seems that life continues to present me with opportunities to use social media as a beneficial tool, whether that is for my clients, you know, my work, which ironically, as I was considering getting off social media altogether, I got a really wonderful gig to do social media marketing. It's like, that's ironic. That's the definition of irony. So it's, I think what I'm attempting to do is try to use it more mindfully and more intentionally and not mindlessly scroll. And I've noticed myself minimizing my amount of time that is not work-related. And I'm proud of myself. I'm proud to say that. doesn't mean I don't get on there and check in with people, but I notice that I'm doing it a lot less and I'm trying to mitigate my use exclusively to work-related duties, whether that's promoting our podcast, promoting Wellevator, the brands that I'm working with, et cetera. Suffice it to say, though, is there a part of me that fantasizes about just being off of it completely? Absolutely. I still fantasize about it, of course. I wonder, though, how that would affect my livelihood, my ability to make money, my ability to work with clients. I mean, it, in a way, I think, and this is a total aside, I think it's really interesting that the new Matrix movie is coming out this year in December, Matrix Resurrections. I've been kind of obsessed with like studying it and the theories around the story. And it seems that one, potentially, I don't know the plot, but one of the central aspects of it is people on social media and smartphones. There have been some theories and some footage and some interesting parts of this movie that might be like the Matrix has evolved and now people don't want to escape the matrix because they enjoy being slaves. They enjoy being plugged into the matrix. Like if someone's enjoying being enslaved to something, they're not going to ask to be set free. 
it's an interesting parallel, and I'm really interested to see this movie, but in a way, and I don't use the word slaves flippantly when I use this, but I think mentally, emotionally, certainly chemically, we are addicted and enslaved to some degree. That's my personal feeling on it. But it's like, yeah, the prisoners aren't going to try and break out of the prison if you give them enough entertainment and food and pleasure and dopamine. And in a way, I honestly, to answer your question, Whitney, I kind of feel like social media is a prison. I feel like it's a prison. And it's a prison we're all in for our own reasons. But to break out of that prison, it almost reminds me of that scene in um, whatever the Batman movie was with Bane. There's that scene where, spoiler alert, Batman escapes this pit and people who've escaped this pit, apparently there's only two people in the history who've escaped this pit. As you're trying to escape the pit, all of the people who are stuck are trying to pull you down back into the pit. And that visual, the crabs in a barrel metaphor, feels like social media to me. It's like if you get off social media, people are like, oh, what do you mean you're not? A, you quit? Like some people admire it, envy it, and wish they could do it. But I think more people are like stultified and mystified why you would get off social media. I feel like it is. It's sort of like it's this prison. It's this mental chemical prison. Will I get off of it someday? I aspire to, Whitney, but that time is not right now. So in the meantime, I'm just trying to manage it more mindfully. I think I'm doing a pretty good job. I think I could be better at it, though. It's tricky. I can relate to a lot of this, too, because most of my work is tied to social media. I don't think social media as a whole is bad. In fact, actually, at the end of this article about digital addictions in the Wall Street Journal, the guy that this psychiatrist was referencing and supporting decided that he would designate one of his devices for video games, which is his main focus, and one specifically for schools. Like he could keep them separate, which I think is really smart. And they say this about like your home and how like different areas represent different things for you. And he also decided that he was only going to play video games with friends, never with strangers, so that gaming strengthened his social connections. Human connection itself is a potent and adaptive source of dopamine. So I think it's a lot about reframing. And in that sense, if we looked at social media for really what it is, like the core of it is about human connection. And this is what I try to think about when I'm doing my own social media and advising other people, which is a huge part of my work is like encouraging people to post for a purpose, post to help, to educate, to inspire, to motivate, like to connect with one another, not to show off, not to shame. A lot of people use social media like Twitter, a lot of shaming going on there, but also Twitter can be great for education and connection. Instagram, so much of showing off, so much of comparison, so much about popularity. But if you used Instagram as an opportunity to connect and, you know, like that Instagram story I posted today, I feel like connected me with people. And what I plan to do is go and reach out to anyone who answered that sticker and be like, hey, I want to personally connect with you. I want to have a conversation with you. This is the core of why I've been developing my community beyond measure is because 
I want to deeply connect with people. I don't want to just like be somebody posting stuff and it's a one-way street, which so much of social media is, but can we draw people in and invite them to be part of a community where they feel supportive and safe? There were some amazing quotes that I pulled up on the Goodreads website for the coddling of the American mind. And one of them is in a section I don't know if I've read or listened to in the audiobook yet. It says there are just two activities that are significantly correlated with depression and other suicide-related outcomes, such as considering suicide, making a plan, or making an attempt. And these activities are electronic device use, such as a smartphone, tablet, or computer, or watching TV. On the other hand, there are five activities that have inverse relationships with depression, meaning that kids who spend more hours per week on these activities show lower rates of depression. Number one is sports and other forms of exercise. Number two is attending religious services. Three is reading books and other print media. Four is in-person social interactions. And five, surprisingly, is doing homework. Right? So again, electronic device use and watching TV are significantly correlated with depression and other suicide-related outcomes. And that's the thing, like, especially for you and me, Jason, and it's tricky with a podcast, right? Like people have to use a device to listen to this show. So are we inadvertently encouraging people to spend more time on devices? Now, the plus side is that you could do some of those other five activities while listening. You could do a form of exercise while listening to the show. So maybe that will counteract the downsides of using devices. You can't read a book. (laughs) You can't really do in-person social interactions or technically homework. So basically, if you would like to balance out (laughs) your mental health while listening to this podcast or doing something else on a device, perhaps you can combine it with exercise, right? But truly, I hope that you leave this episode and think about, well, what are some of these other things that you can do? How can you go read a book or other media? How can you interact with people in person safely during the pandemic? And I guess homework, this book is obviously talking about kids in this section, but maybe your homework is something else that's really important to you. Maybe it's your work and something related to your purpose. I think that's wonderful advice to end on, Whitney. The thing that got me at the end of this article that we've been referencing throughout the episode from Dr. Lemke is she concludes by saying, not everyone plays video games, but just about all of us have a digital drug of choice, and it probably involves using a smartphone, which is the equivalent of a hypodermic needle for the wired generation. Reducing phone use notoriously difficult because at first it causes the brain's pleasure pain balance to tilt to the side of pain, making us feel sad, restless, or cranky. But if we can keep it up long enough, the benefits of a healthier dopamine balance are worth it. Our minds are less preoccupied with craving, and we are more able to be present in the moment. And life's little unexpected joys are rewarding again. That last line really hit me, you know, because I've noticed that. When I'm really spending a lot of time on devices, my ability to appreciate playing with my cats, a sunset, a good meal, having a conversation with you or my girlfriend or my friends, 
I have absolutely noticed that those little daily things that have brought me joy don't bring me joy anymore. And for me, that's a huge alarm that something is way out of balance in my life. So this is not easy. It's not easy to acknowledge the addiction that we have. And I think it's even more difficult, depending on how deep we are in it, to start to reclaim our time, our energy, our attention, and our dopamine. And also really be aware of how you're contributing to these things. Are you contributing by using devices in front of other people who may start to mirror you? I've mentioned this before, how if I'm hyper aware, if I'm in my best state, I will rarely use devices around others because it interrupts the connection, but I don't want them to be triggered into using them too. Well, maybe they don't want to, right? Like maybe we can just even have open conversations. It's interesting. That's tricky. And I think I've mentioned this in a previous episode, how like my sister's super defensive. She doesn't like it when I ask her not to use her device or look at her. Like she'll see me looking at her and she's like, you know, she feels like she's being judged. And that's not my intention. It's just that deep down, I want to be with my sister. And be present. I don't want to be with my sister who's on a device. I could, you know, if I wanted to do that, I could FaceTime her, right? It also, Jason, is an opportunity like for those of us who feel drawn towards posting on social media, like you and I, Jason, and many people, of course, as I mentioned, like we want to connect and we want to share our lives through social. And it's become easier and easier to do that. And One thing that makes me sad that I'm really trying to shift is not feeling like I have to capture every moment for a social, which again has come up so many times on the show, but like being at a concert and how many people just the knee jerk reaction is I've got to take the picture in the video. You see a sunset. Like when you mentioned a sunset, Jason, I feel like we've trained ourselves to take a picture or a video of the sunset. But as I've talked about past episode for sure, that like... And this is actually another piece of information that really helped me. So it's worth reiterating. I forget what the book was called, but I mentioned it on another episode about how it has been shown that when we take photos and videos, our brain is less likely to remember it because it thinks, oh, well, it's being captured. Some, it's being documented. So I don't have to remember this. Like That's what our brain is thinking, if our brain could think. Every time I take a picture of a really nice moment, I've remembered that part of the book, Jason, and it's actually really helped me. And I try to either balance it out and say, I'm going to take a quick photo and a quick video and then be very present. I'm not going to spend a ton of time and I'm definitely not going to post. Like I used to do that. I know you used to do it, Jason. It's like we had to post in the moment. Like you had to do it live. No, it doesn't matter. You can post it days, weeks, months, years later if you want. It doesn't have to be instantaneous. But then sometimes I think, do I really need to capture this? And who is this for? And it's really been a big thing for me to reflect on this trip that I'm currently on because it's I'm in all these beautiful parts of the country and I think I got to capture this, but for who? And the thing that has helped me reframe this is a picture on Instagram, a video on TikTok, somebody will see for maybe a few seconds and they go on with their lives. But in that moment that you're capturing it, that's your life, you're savoring it, 
it's special to you enough to take a photo and video, what if instead of trying to capture it for somebody else, why don't you capture it for yourself? And the best way to do that is to not do it through a device. And it's taking a lot of retraining, Jason, because I know that so much of my life being associated with social media, I feel like almost this FOMO. Like if I don't capture this picture or this video, I'm missing out on a good social media post. Saying that out loud, it's like, that's kind of messed up. It's okay if the world does not see this photo or this video that I've taken. It's okay that I don't have it amongst my thousands and thousands of photos that I think you mentioned this, but just in case you didn't, the more photos we take, the more storage space we need. And then we end up paying for it. You know, like right now I'm an iPhone user. I have my phone that physically stores it. I have hard drives to back it up in like physical hard drives. And then I have my cloud storage that I'm paying for because I have so many photos and videos. If we didn't take that many photos and videos, we wouldn't have to pay for it. You know, like they're nice to have, but what percentage of all of those photos and videos actually matter in the long run? Probably not the majority of them. So if we could reframe our relationship with just that alone, we're making progress and it can shift it. If we just step back and think, who is this for? What is this worth? Where is the long-term value? I think a lot of times we'll realize that like being present is not only more satisfying, but it's so much better for our mental health. And we can create a ripple effect by not only doing that for ourselves, but by being that example for others and speaking about it. And like, I actually think there will be a shift, Jason. That's my hope. I know we're going into something called Web 3.0 now and a lot of virtual reality and, you know, augmented reality and all sorts of crazy technology on the horizon. But I think there's a growing awareness about these things that we're talking about that enough people, hopefully, We'll start to separate it. And maybe just like at the end of that article, maybe it'll be less intertwined in our lives in the ways that it has been. And maybe we can like have our digital time in our non in our like real life time and not turn into Ready Player One, which, if you don't get that reference, is a book and movie about the whole world is basically. AI and video games and like that's what people do <laughs> or Wally and what all of these like future movies we see about people just their whole lives are based about sitting around and using technology and not actually being present. I hope we don't end up that way, but I guess it's possible. Well, I suppose we have a choice though, right? And Choosing to maintain human connection, choosing to engage with nature, choosing to do things like reading, moving our bodies, all the things you mentioned, Whitney. We've said this in previous episodes, and I want to leave on this point, is that awareness is just part of it. If you have an awareness that you're addicted, that's great. But there's a chasm you need to jump between awareness and implementing actions. And so we hope we left you with some actions that you can take. I certainly am endeavoring to spend more time in nature. I've been hiking more recently. That's been really good for my mental health. It's tough in wintertime, of course, <laughs> to get out. So I say this from a privilege of living on the West Coast where I can hike in the month of October, November, December. Not everyone has that capability, but 
moving your body is a huge, huge, huge part of this. And having the awareness to mindfully use our devices, it's an ongoing conversation. And we would always love to hear from you, dear listener, dear watcher, if you are enjoying this on YouTube. You can email Whitney and myself on our website. It's wellevator.com. And our direct email is hello at wellevator.com. And you can always DM us on any of the social media platforms. All of that is spelled W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R dot com. And funny enough, Whitney, you, know, you, you talked about getting the new iPhone. I've also made the decision to hold off because I really want to be mindful of how I am using my money. And when I don't feel the absolute necessity to upgrade something in my life, be it a car, a phone, et cetera, then I feel like it is not imperative for me to do so. So much like you, I'm totally fine with my iPhone 10 for now. And I know that whenever it is time to upgrade, the phone will let me know. <laughs> so with that, thanks for joining us for another episode of this might get uncomfortable. We always love to hear back from you. So any of your thoughts, musings, perspectives, we always love to receive that. So until next time, thanks for joining us. And again, we have our solo episodes every Monday, every Friday, we have our special guests. And we also have our private podcast, This Hits the Spot, which you can join as a newsletter subscriber at wellevator.com or as one of our beloved patrons for as low as $2 a month, supporting both of our podcasts and our work to discuss things like mental and emotional wellness in the world. Till next time, we appreciate you and uh, we love you and we'll be back soon. Thanks. Thanks for listening and getting out of your comfort zone with us today. For show notes and more high-performance resources to help you thrive, go to wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com.